0: verses 17 through 24 in your pew bibles that you'll have to look up it's on page number 1135 and as you're looking up i want you to i'm going to ask some questions for you to picture things but i'm not looking for answers i just want you to imagine if you will the ideal christian The perfect follower, not perfect, but an exemplary follower of Christ. What do they look like? What job do they have? What kind of a house do they live in? If you just imagine those things for a moment, that's going to get fleshed out a little bit in our message. Um, Let's go ahead and read the text it's in verses, again, 17 through 24. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, again, on a broad level, we are in a part of the book where Paul is specifically addressing some questions that the Corinthians have asked of him in another letter. And we've been lately talking about issues of the sexual ethic and marriage. And this is in there because we're going to return to that, but it's a little bit separate. It's addressing kind of a related, but a a tangentially related item. And right away, I'm going to tell you the outline for what we're going to do tonight. The first thing that we're going to do is identify the central theme of this passage, which I think should be fairly straightforward in identifying But understanding is where we're going to find the challenge. And so to try to seek that understanding, the second thing we're going to do is look at the examples that Paul gives in order to illustrate the point that he is making. And once we see those examples, hopefully thirdly, that will help us get a, a better filling out and understanding of well, what is he trying to actually communicate here. And then the last thing that we're going to do is try to apply what he's talking about to circumstances and questions that we might face in the modern context that we live in. So let's go ahead and start through that outline. The first thing I said we're going to do is try to identify the main theme, the main point, the rule that Paul is communicating here. And who wants to give a shot as to what that rule is? Go ahead, Joanne. Be content where you are. Now, where did you get that from? Generalization. Well, I, I just asked because he actually, it, it should be fairly straightforward. And if you follow through the text, there's three times where basically he says exactly that. He says at first in verse 17, the first verse that we read, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. And then if you miss that, at the center of our text in verse 20, it's repeated, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And if you miss that, it's at the very end of the text where it also states in verse 24, So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And so, the job of finding the theme is pretty easy. It says that the middle, I mean, the very beginning, the middle, and the end, virtually the exact same thing. However, God calls you, remain in that situation. But what does that mean, is the question. And that leads us to where we have to go next, which is okay. Well, in order to answer that question, Paul illustrates it with some concrete examples. And actually, those examples, he uses two of them, they fall right between each one of the sections. So the outline of the text is theme, illustration, theme, illustration, theme. Pretty straightforward. So, let's look at the examples. And the first one is in verse 18. What is this example of remaining where you are what does he use to illustrate it circumcision okay yep we'll read the text was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised let him not seek circumcision so, if you were circumcised, that meant that you were a former Jew. But now that you've become a Christian, some people thought, apparently, that they would want to put away that Jewish identity, the marker that identified them as part of that religious community because they were something new. And apparently, there were surgical procedures that, could un- that you, someone could go that could hide the marks of circumcision. Without anesthesia in the day, I don't know what that looked like or why anyone would want to, but it was a thing. And again, why someone might want to is, again, to hide that part of their past and to come with a new identity. I'm no longer a part of that community. I want to identify with a new community. The reverse is true, that there are some people that came to the faith that weren't circumcised, which would mean that they were non-Jews, Greeks. Gentiles And there was a huge debate at the time that gets spelled out in several of other, Paul's other books, in particularly Galatians, where the question was, well, in order to become a Christian, do you, how much of the Jewish faith do you need to take with you? The law. How much do we have to does that apply, or how much are we done with? And circumcision was a huge part of that question with many, arguing and saying, no, if you're going to be a follower of God, circumcision still applies and we have to have that as part of the mark of faith. Paul, for the most part, argued against that and said, no, that circumcision was part of the old covenant and so you do not have to take that mark on if you're going to become identified as a Christian. I said, for the most part, But there were some exceptions, and particularly Timothy, who apparently, when he was converted as a child of a Greek father and a Jewish mother, was not circumcised at birth. Comes to the faith, and so that he wouldn't cause offense to anyone, seemingly, Paul uh, encouraged him to get circumcised. We're told this in Acts 16. And so, in general, one of the things that we're learning is that this rule that Paul has, in many ways, is a rule of wisdom. Something that he didn't say was absolute all of the time, Timothy's example, but as a rule of wisdom, stay how you are, and in circumcision becomes the first illustration. Now, why? Why is circumcision, why remain as you are? And that question is answered in verse 19. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. What does he mean by it? that doesn't count for anything? Doesn't it? Or more importantly, and again, that is fairly rhetorical of a question, what was the significant part? If, if circumcision or uncircumcision didn't really matter, what did matter? Faith in the Lord, and which is, how is the faith shown? How is it spelled out in the end of that verse? The way we live. Obedience to the commandments. Now again, Paul was going out on a limb there because some were saying, well, if you're going to obey the commandments, you should obey the commandment to be circumcised. But he's saying, "No, the commandments of God and how we follow them, that is what matters. Not whether we're circumcised or not. All right, so we've learned a little bit about this theme. Let's go on to the second example found in verse 21. Paul steps right into another controversial area, and this is in terms of what? Slavery, or or a bondservant. And once again, he says in verse 21, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. And then it puts in our, translate, our version, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. All right, so help me out here. Does Paul immediately contradict himself right after he states the principle? He said, don't change, but if you have the opportunity, go ahead and, and do it. While that may look like a bit of a contradiction, it actually helps us understand, it it doesn't when you understand what slavery looked like back in the Roman Empire at that time. Um, Yes, people were born into slavery in some ways like they were in the United States, but many people entered slavery when they had a debt they could not pay. So you get yourself into financial trouble. You have a debt you cannot pay. The way that you can get out of that debt is by selling yourself into slavery. So therefore, you would say, you know, John's sitting in the front row. So John, I have this huge debt. Here, can I live with you? Can you feed me? I'll work for you. And then I'll have a place to live, food to eat, and I'll start working off that debt that I owe in the meantime. So he might reduce or remove from pay anything for housing or food, but there might be a little bit extra that I can start to save up, and eventually the hope is that I would be able to pay off that debt, and then I could be a free person. And so Paul is saying that if that's what you were doing already, yeah, keep doing that. Keep working toward that goal of paying off your debts and obtaining freedom, if that is what you are able to do. And so it looks like a bit of a contradiction, but I don't think it really is. In fact, it upholds the law when he says, if you can gain your freedom, go ahead and do that because that's likely what you were already doing. But why? Why is that nothing to worry about? I mean, should we have Christians as slaves and and slaveholders is kind of what he's pushing us toward. But he addresses that in verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord is a bond as a bond servant so if you were a slave you are actually a freedman in the Lord of the Lord and likewise if you are free when you were called you're a bond servant to Christ So in some ways he's saying it's this isn't about job titles it's not about positions In fact as a bond servant you're free in Christ We celebrate that you've been set free from your sins and and you are a follower of the Lord. And and if you're free, in some ways you're enslaved. You are bought with a price. The price of Christ's blood. He's repeated this now several times. And so you're obligated to follow him in all that you are. You may not be quite as free as you thought. But again, it gets to the important thing. What's the most important part? How is your relationship to Jesus? Are you serving him, whether you are a slave or whether you are free? That is what he says is the most important question. All right, so we've read and now reread every part of the text. We come back to that fundamental question. Well, what does he mean when he is saying, remain as you are? What can we add to that that we've now learned from the examples that he has has illustrated? Does what we are on the outside make a difference in our relationship with the Lord? Or putting it another way, if we change things about ourselves, will that make the Lord love us anymore? No. What about the work that we do? It is our job. Will that make God celebrate who we are any better because we've got a job that's more appropriate than somebody else? And again, no. The fundamental principle, and I'm quoting from a commentary, is don't be in a hurry to change your external circumstances of life just because you came a Christian You can't make God love you any better by how you look or by what you do. Instead, the key is obedience to God's commandments. It's not the externals. So when Paul says, remain as you are, he's saying, don't be quick to throw and and uproot your life thinking that you have to become a whole new person. God's going to turn you into a new person, but through obedience, not through your external circumstances. Well, with that principle now laid out, let's think about some current modern application, and you help me decide whether or not this text addresses address these kinds of issues. All right, so Paul's principle is don't change your circumstances. So you happen to live in Escalon and you work at an entry-level position at Ace Hardware in town. You become a Christian. And because of this text, does that mean you are never allowed to take a promotion at your job? There's people shaking their head, but he says, remain as you are. You became a Christian as an entry-level Ace Hardware worker. Aren't you supposed to stay there? And the answer is no. You don't have to stay in your role. We can, as Christians, seek promotions and changing. But maybe here's a more pointed question that'll get at the point. You have an entry-level job at Ace Hardware and you become a Christian. Do you then have to leave that job and become a missionary to Africa in order to be a real Christian? And again, the answer is no. No, you don't have to leave your job at Ace Hardware and become a missionary. Not all Christians have to be missionaries. And I think that's getting closer to the point that Paul is trying to make here. All right, here's another one. When you become a Christian, you are heavily tattooed. And so now that you've given yourself to the faith, you should probably go and have as many of those tattoos removed as possible. To be a Christian, is that what this text does? This text address that issue. What do you think? Okay. And Mike, in many ways, that is the answer I, I gave, and and there is some wisdom in that, right? And there are probably, so we're kind of avoiding the debate of whether or not any tattoo is acceptable. But, but overall, uh, it might depend on what those tattoos are. Do they designate a gaining affiliation that you don't want to have as part of your past? And maybe in wisdom it would be wise to get rid of that. But overall, if they are reminders of who you are, important things of your past that, that carried you to that point where you became a Christian maybe they should remain and stay as you are because god called you as someone who was tattooed all right here's another one and i thought about you mike a little bit with this one you're a public school teacher when you become a follower of christ and therefore you should then leave the public schools and get a job that a Christian would get at a Christian school? Some people ask that question. So, Mike, what do you think? <laughs> And again, Mike says, uh, you, you could express your faith, Christian faith in the public school and have some influence there. And again, I think that is close to the point that Paul is making. He called you as a public school teacher. You don't have to abandon that immediately to be a real Christian, but as a Christian, be a public school teacher. Go ahead, Lawrence. exactly yeah Lawrence says if you are I'm repeating because we record these and so people would never hear that but uh yeah if if you are in a non-christian organization be it a public school be it uh you know a regular job at Ace Hardware you can be a Christian there in fact that that's the point that you're making but let me add a few more hypotheticals that people do ask before we just established that but what about this You are a doctor that performs abortions. Can you remain in that career once you become a Christian? No. And that's where we would say that while the principle of, in general, God calls us where you are and you can do so, the broader principle is obedience to the commandments. And there are certain occupations. Certain jobs, certain things that I don't think a truly hearted Christian can do in, while obeying, obeying God's commands. And so there are things that have to be forsaken, and it may be your very career. If your career is one such as those that uh, is, would not be able to participate without, it, uh, without disobeying God's commands. Those are some of the examples I thought of. Did anybody have other ones that they were wondering about or other examples that we would maybe try to see if it it fits or explore? Yeah. Yep. And there are other, and Mike, so Mike is saying you can go down a whole list of, of present circumstances, and um, let's let us let us go ahead and go there. Um, you are in a same-sex relationship and have adopted children, and yet you become a Christian. How much of your lifestyle has to change? Now, I think it would be an abuse of this text to say none of it. Because, again, the point of the text is it's not the externals, but it is the obedience to God's commandments. And there are certain things that you cannot do in that. But there are other obligations you have as particularly a parent to these children. And there would be a lot of wisdom needed in that. We would maybe say, are there ways where you can forsake the sinful activity while trying to honor the responsibilities that you have as a parent, which would be very difficult to explore exactly where those lines are, but are quite possible where you can find a way where how do you live your Christian faith with integrity while not participating in sinful or, or activity or disobeying God's commands. And so I think this text does broadly apply to that and maybe helps us to answer some of those very practical difficult questions because of course these were difficult questions at the time and people were legitimately asking how much of my life needs to change and again the broad principle that Paul is making here is don't worry about the externals your job your your physical markers now we've been touching around it but let me ask the question directly why not? Why, in wisdom, might God say, no, there was a reason why I called you as a circumcised or uncircumcised person, why I called you as a bondservant or a free person? Why might God call people from different circumstances? True, we don't know why. Why? Yeah, so again, uh, Mike rightly points out, he doesn't call us because we're any better. But in those circumstances, going back to what we already had said, God can use us in those places. God needs Christian public school teachers. He needs Christians at Ace Hardware. He needs Christians who are where they are. And in the end, that is the point of this text. How can you be the best Christian where you are and as you are? And I asked that question in light of those introductory questions I asked. I remember at seminary at least one, if not a couple of examples, where people felt that to really be a a lover and a server of God, they had to become pastors. But the sad reality was they were not pastors and it was kind of clear they didn't have the call, but they had felt compelled to pursue that because that's what a real good Christian does. And what Paul is saying here is, no, God calls bond servants. God calls humble servants. God calls rich people and poor, homeless, former gang members, former imprisoned people, And he says, be a follower where you are, because I need you there. And that's where I want to end with us: is how can we be the best follower in the role as we are? I'm seeing students. How can you be a follower of Christ as a student? I see teachers in the public school or in private schools and public schools. How can we be followers of Christ there? I see farmers and retirees. I see um, people who work at the church. And while we chuckle, in some ways, I think it's way more effective to be a Christian in a a secular environment uh, than a pastor at a church. Because you interact with non-Christians on a regular basis that we have a harder time doing. Um, And so... That's the encouragement and I think the message from this text. He's not saying, you know, don't change anything. What he is saying is what should change is our obedience to God. But we can do that in whatever life circumstances we find ourselves in. So in light of that, let's, let's offer a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for your call. And I thank you that none of us here this evening is the same. How each one of us has different stories, have different gifts and talents, uh, serve you in many different ways. Lord, thank you for those differences. Thank you that there are people here that can reach individuals I never would be able to, and how I can interact with individuals that they would struggle to. Lord, in that, no matter where we are, May we always strive to serve you in those places. May we be uh, followers of you, examples of your children, uh, wherever we are and however we are. Lord, as we follow you and serve you, our prayer is that we might shine a light that will be an encouragement to others that they too might surrender to you. Uh, This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.